0: I usually have trouble finding that because I always want to think it comes before Timothy. I mean, after Timothy, not before Timothy, but that's where it is in your New Testament. I don't know. I don't have the Pew Bible, so I don't know what page number that is. 9.87. 987, Thank you. So at a certain point in the reading this morning, you might think that... uh, as one of your elders reading the scripture this morning, that it's a little bit self-serving. It really isn't, honest. (laughs) 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you'll pray with me first. Father, we do want to be people that uh, are just so thankful for and want to be living out the gospel. And I pray that it will be Uh, the power behind our lives every day. And we do want to be people that love you more than anything else and people that treasure your word. And so as we read uh, just now this morning and then listen to your word being preached, I do pray that... uh, You will illumine our hearts and minds. I pray that uh, somehow, Lord, by your Spirit, we'll be able to shake off any lethargy that might be in our hearts uh, as an attitude toward your holy and living word. And I do pray that uh, by your Spirit, You will speak with power to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security... Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast, What is good? Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's uh, get straight away into the word here. We are going to uh, zero in on just a couple of these verses in 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's look at verse 16, 17, and 18 together. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We have here in these uh, three verses, three commands. Uh, These verbs are are imperatives uh, to to rejoice, your Bible may say, your translation, rejoice, pray, give thanks. And they are uh, commands for us to obey. I want to put this uh, short little passage on the screen here so you can kind of get a a, a flavor for it. Uh, I have it up here in the NIV. And what I want you to see are these words that are in italics. If you can see that, italics is kind of a gentle italics. Uh, Be joyful always is in italics. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. And those three things are emphasized in this passage. In the uh, in our Greek New Testaments, in the original here, and I have a few of my Greek students uh, with us today. Uh, these words are at the very beginning of each of these lines. So it, it says, "Always rejoice, continually, or without ceasing, constantly pray, in all circumstances, give thanks." That's kind of how it's it, it, it reads. Uh, With this emphasis. We just don't really uh, do that in English. So they've done the right thing. It's not like they've made a mistake. They've done the translation right. And then this final phrase is kind of referring back to these three commands. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I have to pause here and say something with this passage. And in a sense uh, apologize for myself and for pastors. Because here's a point uh, we're, we're at a point right here, we hear a passage like this, and my guess is you're starting to squirm a little. Here is where the pastor is going to make us all feel terrible for not doing what God's word has called us to do, and I'm not going to be able to do it, and I'm just going to be miserably convicted and, and walk out of here kind of frustrated. How many of you have had that experience with with the sermon? You can raise your hands. I mean, I've done that to you, right? And and other pastors have done that to you. And so I want to be very explicit here at the outset that that is exactly what I do not want to do in this sermon. All right? Can I get an amen on that? I, I, I do not want to make you feel miserable. I do not want you to feel as though you are not joyful always, that you are not going to pray continually, that you are not going to give thanks in all circumstances. And this is just just, just miserable um, to, to, to have these kinds of things laid on us week in and week out and to feel terrible and to not experience these things. That is exactly what I don't want to do. So what I do want to do is give us a picture of what this looks like. And how our God and the power of the Holy Spirit is sufficient, is sufficient for us to live this out. Okay, that's what I want to do. There's not a whole lot to say, anything, there's not a whole lot more to say about these particular verses and interpretation and so forth. This is, this is it. This is what it says. But the only words of clarification on the text I've already given them is that what we have emphasized here is the constancy, the permanence, that this is to go on always, being joyful, praying, and giving thanks. So what does this look like? How do we do this? I'm going to have three points, and I'm going to spend most of my time uh, on the first one. And what I want to say is this, that Christian joy is unique Because it is supernatural, elusive, and constant. Okay? Now, I recognize that these seem to be contradictions here, that it's elusive and that it's constant. I'm going to get to that, uh, that this is a paradox. It is both elusive and it is constant. We'll come to that in a moment. What I want to get to right now is that Christian joy is unique because it is supernatural. It comes by grace. So I don't want to heap on you terrible feelings right now. If you have been depressed, if you have been in the pit, if you haven't been experiencing joy, uh, I understand that. I, I, I've been there. We've all been there, right? Unless you're like three or four years old. And you've probably already been there too. You just can't, can't, can't express it, right? We've all been there. Uh, Has anybody here been in the pit, been in sorrow, been discouraged? Say amen if you have been. We've all been there. So so what does this look like? What do I mean that it's supernatural? I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10 briefly. You can turn there in your Bibles or just look on the screen with me. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but we know the situation. And we have the situation here in chapter 10 in verse 32. The writer is saying, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. Remember those earlier days after you came to Christ. When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. So they had some hard times. The the, the recipients, the original recipients of this letter to the the Hebrews, they they had some hard times shortly after they came to know Christ. Verse 33. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. So were there, there were times when it was coming your way, original audience of, of, of Hebrews, original recipients, there was times it was coming your way, but there was times it was, it was coming, this, this heat, this persecution, was coming to others. But you stood right alongside them. Remember that? And then the verse that's relevant to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 34. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, a, a little, little historical context here. In the first century, in prisons, they did not get three meals a day. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have health care. They didn't have the things that we have today. And I'm, I'm actually thankful for those, those things. Human, uh, human beings, uh, those who are prisoners, are human beings. They're made in the image of God. And they should be treated with respect. There are many believers in our prisons. But in the first century, if you were in prison, and, and these folks are in prison, the folks he's writing to have been standing alongside them. If you're in prison, you've got to rely on outsiders to bring you your food. You've got to be connected. And so this early church, this group of Hebrew Christians, has to make a decision. Okay, these, these brothers and sisters have been put in jail for their faith. Are we going to go and fellowship with them? Are we going to go and supply them with food? If so, we're going to be marked with them. And we may end up in there with them. They didn't end up in there with them, but they had their property, the ESV puts it, plundered. I think that's better. It was plundered. It was taken from them wrongly. But what is amazing and what is relevant to this sermon and 1 Thessalonians 5 is that they accepted the plundering of their property joyfully. Now that's crazy, isn't it? How many of us here, have you ever been robbed? Raise your hand. Have you ever been robbed? Raise your hand. Yeah. It happened to us. Uh, We had just moved to the foothills, just finished Lots of our training, we were like ready to be adults at 29, and finished schools. We just moved here. We were going away at Christmas time. Our house was all sealed, all locked up. We came back home. We had no dogs there. I'm a big fan of dogs, you know, because our dogs came with us. So our dogs aren't there. Our house is all locked up. We come back from Christmas vacation, and there's a broken window to our garage. The door had been opened walked into our place, and there's just stuff around, a computer missing, TV missing, variety of things missing. I wasn't joyful. (laughs) I wasn't joyful. It, It wasn't probably for righteousness sake either that my stuff was plundered. But like these folks... I don't think that they have smiles going ear to ear that their property has been plundered because they have associated with, with the brothers and sisters who are in prison. I don't think they're smiling. But I think they have recognized, uh, we, we have the reason that they have joy here at the very end because they knew that they had a better and lasting possession. They knew that this might come. They anticipated they might get put in prison or they might lose their stuff. And so, in the midst of losing their stuff, they have joy. Because they are loving Jesus and heaven. And so, their computers and their golf clubs and their mountain bikes and their iPhone 5S and their iPads and their whatever it is that you kind of have a tendency to cling to. I, I, I don't know what. Their quilts, their, their, uh, help me out, help me out, yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Your Harley, yeah. They let it go. And they have joy. And it has come to them by the grace of God. It wasn't from some preacher beating them up. You've got to have joy. You've got to have joy. Don't be depressed. Don't be depressed. They're seeking Jesus, and so their stuff gets taken away. They're not happy, just like I wasn't when I walked into my house. They're not happy, but they are joyful because they love him. Christian joy is unique because it is supernatural. It is supernatural, and it comes to us even in bad and hard and dark times. I saw a picture of, of supernatural Christian joy last Saturday. I have to go back a few months. I got a text or a phone call. I think it might have been from you, Robert. Um, I don't know if it was from you. Someone texted me or called me about three or four months ago about a young man, 16-year-old, who um, was just diagnosed with leukemia about three or four months ago from our previous congregation. And was it you that texted me? I think it was. And so uh, we're calling the troops to prayer. Can you imagine getting that news? 16-year-old leukemia, it looks bad. Went down there, prayed for this young man. His family lives over in Cool. The, the, the Facebook is lit up. The prayer lines are, the, the prayer chain is going. The people are praying. We're gathering together. All this great medical care. We're praying for this young man. This is about three or four months ago. He starts doing better, chemo, all this stuff. He's, he's, he's doing well. He's able to come home. He was able to go to his high school and visit friends after living in the hospital for week after week after week, after week with his dad. Getting emotional here. So week and a half ago, he dies. His name's Chris. So Saturday... We had his memorial service. Hundreds of people. His whole high school's there. Golden Sierra High School up in, near Georgetown. All the folks from the churches have gathered around. Uh, Memorial service ends. And uh, Michelle and I are seeing a lot of people we haven't seen in many years. People who had moved away years ago had come back to support this family. And so it had taken maybe an hour or two of greeting folks before I finally got to talk to Ron and Terry, the parents of the 16-year-old who died about 10 days ago. So I finally get to them. The balloons had been launched. We had just launched these these red balloons into the sky. Several of us were there last week. It was a huge crowd, and and the crowd had had gone, and I finally got over to to Ron and to Terry, who have just buried their 16-year-old son and ron and terry have joy on their faces i mean i don't know how else to describe it than supernatural now i'm not saying that they haven't been weeping and crying and in agony and and not knowing how they're going to continue they had that they've been there they've been there and they have I mean, we hugged and embraced and were we were Joyful. They were joyful. How is that? Because we have a better and lasting possession and we have hope beyond death. So, Christian joy is unique because it is supernatural. didn't want to go there. We'll go here. 2 Corinthians 6.10, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I think this is a real description of what I saw Saturday as we embraced and as I saw joy on the faces of Ron and Terry. They are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So when we read a command to be joyful always. It is in the context of depending on Jesus Christ to help us to be beyond what we are. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I want to give you a definition, my definition of joy. Joy is to be in a state of well being during happiness or hardship because of the finished work. Christ, this is what joy is. Now we think of joy often as the world thinks of joy. Joy is when our family goes to Disneyland. That's that's actually a nightmare for me. I'm sorry. Where are the um? Where? where I'm sorry. I love you guys. I just don't like Disneyland. We have Disneyland lovers here. For most families, we think of going to Disneyland as joy. We think of going on a backpacking trip father's and son's trip. Now I'm talking my language. That's what we think of as joy. We think of the family vacation to Hawaii as joy. And guess what? We can have Christian joy at Disneyland in Hawaii or on the backpacking trip. But what happens is it can become kind of invisible there because it looks just like the world's joy when we're doing that. But Christian joy is not invisible when you have buried your 16-year-old son. So it is being in a state of well-being during either happiness or hardship because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is what joy is. And so we need to join Augustine in praying like this. We're not going to probably pray his words But he says this on your, his prayer is on your exceedingly great mercy rests all my hope. Give what you command and then command whatever you will. So instead of when we hear a passage or a sermon like this, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do these commands. These are impossible to live out. I can't do it. I can't be joyful always. Instead, we should say, God, command whatever you want in your word. Command us to be joyful always. Command us to be praying always. Command us to be thankful always. But then, God, you, you have to give the grace, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit for me to live this out. It's the only way. There's no techniques. There are no steps. So, Joy is unique because it is supernatural. And joy is unique. Now, back to that other part finally uh, elusive and constant. Joy is elusive. We could give testimonies for hours about the elusiveness of joy. Couldn't we? (laughs) We could. We could. We we could. We could. Is joy elusive? It is elusive. Many of you know, I like to mountain bike. I get out there about three times uh, a week. I was out there last night, later than I should. It got kind of dark. I almost died. Don't ride single back, single track, downhill trails in the dark. Okay, just don't do that. I was doing it last night. But anyway, going back a few more days. Actually, going back years. um, I I, I always carry a tube with me when I go. Because one of the elusive parts of joy when you're mountain biking are flats, okay? So I always carry a tube. But then occasionally, just a few times over the last 15 years, I've had a double flat. Now, if I get a double flat when I'm far from a road or home or the trailhead or whatever, then my wife gets a call, right? And I say, hey, honey, I'm, I'm going to start hiking to Forest Hill Highway. Could you start driving there? And then we'll kind of meet, and then you can get me right ride home. And, of course, she's in the middle of something, and she just gets a call. She has to drop everything. This happened a lot when the kids were little. Got to put them all in the car. Got to come and find me. So she says, what do you think about carrying two tubes with you when you mountain bike? Two tubes. Well, that's extra weight, right? That's the way mountain bikers think. You know, we think in grams. So that's extra weight. So, okay, so I, I, I love my wife as Christ loved the church, so I put two tubes I put two tubes in my camelback, so now I've got two tubes. Well, about three or four days ago, guess what happens? My first triple flat, triple flat on one ride. So I've got a flat starting out, I've got to start second, and, and my wife can't drive, okay? she just had surgery, so she can't drive. So anyway, long, I don't, this isn't relevant to the sermon at all here, I'm getting a little distracted. <laughs> But I did make it up without calling her. I was kind of like riding on Jello. It was a front flat, and I just had to climb out. Um, so I made it up to the top. It was, it was hard work. Here, here's the point. Here's why I'm telling this story. When I am next to my bike, changing the flat, joy can elude me really quickly. Because there is a spiritual battle, actually, that is going on. I'm not trying to be funny here. I mean, I am, but I, I'm not. Uh, there is a battle, right? I mean, through the power of God, I am capable of changing the flat and having the same joy that I was having riding. But I'm also capable of, of all of the frustration, all of the anger, all of the wrath, all of the stuff that, that's in there for, for it to come out and for me to just be miserable and angry. So there's a spiritual battle that's going on. So, so Christian joy is unique because it's supernatural, but it is elusive because whether we're talking about small things like mountain bike tire flats or whether we're talking about epic tragedies like burying your 16-year-old burying your son, joy can be elusive in both of those situations and everywhere in between because there is a spiritual battle that is going on for our souls. Ephesians 6 reminds us of this battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this is why when I say Christian joy is unique because it is supernatural, I mean it is elusive because of of Ephesians 6.12, but I believe that it is constant because of 1 Thessalonians 5 because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of what God did, to some, what God did through some Hebrew Christians in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, what he did through a couple whose nightmare scenario came true, his grace is sufficient and his joy can be constant. First 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds us there is always a way out. No temptation has seized you. Or trial has seized you. Accept what is common to man, but God is faithful. He will also provide a way out, that passage says. There is a way out when we have a flat tire on the side of the trail. There is a way out. I can maintain that joy through dependence on God, through maintaining the right perspective, by praying and asking him for grace. All right, so that's point one. We got a ways to go here. So, these next two are going to be a lot shorter. All right. Christian joy is unique because it is supernatural, it's elusive, it's constant. And I really want to say the same thing about prayer. Christian prayer is unique. Because it is supernatural, it is elusive, it is constant. For those same reasons I've just laid out, there is a spiritual battle going on, so it is elusive. We have the power of God available to us in every moment, and so we can pray, we can cry out to him, we can go before the Lord at all times. It is possible. And yet it's elusive. We see this theme, praying always. We see the same thing for joy always, but I want to show you how pervasive this is throughout the New Testament. This this command, this imperative to pray always. Romans 1, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, Paul writes. Romans 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 1, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And so, uh, Colossians 1, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. First Thessalonians 3.10, just a few verses up, and we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. We see this over and over and over again. This command to be praying constantly. What does this mean? What does this look like? Again, I'm not wanting to weigh you down. I'm wanting actually to lift you up to a place of joy, to a place of prayerfulness, to a pr- place of thankfulness through the power of the Holy Spirit. So so what does this look like? One commentator says it very well this way. He, he, he says this. And uh, he's talking about this Greek word, uh, adialeptos, which is the word always, okay? Or constantly, or unceasingly, or however your translation has it. It does not mean some sort of nonstop praying. Rather, it implies constantly recurring prayer, growing out of a settled attitude of dependence on God. That's it. That, 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 that's what this verse is saying. This guy just says it so right. I don't really need to preach it. I'm just, this, is, this is it. I can't say it this, this well. A settled attitude of dependence on God, constantly recurring prayer. It doesn't mean nonstop praying. It doesn't mean that we're, we're just constantly praying that we, if we had the ideal situation, that we could move away the top of a mountain somewhere and that we would just say the Lord's Prayer or whatever biblical prayers all day long. That is not what this is mean, meaning. Meaning. It's meaning that we are constantly coming to God, whether words are are uttered or not. Lifting the heart to God while one is occupied with miscellaneous duties is the vital thing. Verbalized prayer will be spontaneous and will punctuate one's daily schedule as it did Paul's. We should be running to him throughout the day. And we do this in a couple different ways. When I think of prayer, I think of two categories. I think of scheduled prayers, and I think of spontaneous prayers. And both are good. Scheduled prayers. We pray every Sunday. We do a confession prayer. We do a a prayer for our kids as they go. We do scheduled prayers in our homes. We do prayers before meals. We do prayers at bedtime. I know one family, their scheduled prayer is every time they get in the car. Every time they get in the car, before dad turns the key, they pray. Now, sometimes their hearts are not in a place to pray, right? So those prayers are are tough prayers, but they've developed that discipline. That's a scheduled prayer. We get in the car, we pray before we turn the key. So we have scheduled prayers. Those are good. And we have spontaneous prayers where we are relying and depending and praying to God throughout the day. Now, this is kind of my area of weakness and has been an area of weakness for me. And it may be for you. Your weakness may be on the other side. Uh, you know, we're all different. But for me, um, as I look back over my Christian life, as I was thinking about this this week, and, and I, I was recalling when we were uh, first married, one of the things I remember was kind of looking down on my wife and my mother-in-law as they're praying for every little thing. Is anybody else this this uh, Pharisaical as I am? I, I mean, they're praying for every little thing. Like, does God really need you to pray for that parking spot next to Costco after we just went for a run? Like, like, uh, I don't know if you're connecting with me here, but th- this is a bad. This is a bad thing. This is bad of me to be looking at them. At praying for the weather and praying for all of these, they were, they were just praying for all these small things. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to go to God for, you know, the salvation of so-and-so. And I'm going to go to God in, in these hard times. But for me, it was kind of a, a struggle to pray for, for every day, small things to recognize God is sovereign over everything. And I need to be turning to him throughout the day and praying. So it's been, I, I I've been slow. So, uh, so, someone has called this, and I think rightly, uh, it, it's, it's helpful to put labels on some things. Sometimes labels are terrible, but sometimes they're really helpful. Someone's put the label on what I've just described as my my, my own weakness as over spiritualized prayer. Over spiritualized prayer. I, I, I'm going to pray when, when I see eternity on the line, but I'm not praying for the weather, I'm not praying for, 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 for these seemingly small things. And we need to do both. We need to do both. So our, we have scheduled prayers. We have spontaneous prayers. We need to be seeking God at all times. Um, Brother Lawrence, this book has really impacted me in recent weeks. Our men's group has been going through this. He, he writes this. He says, we, we ought to act with God in the greatest simplicity, speaking to him frankly and plainly and imploring his assistance in our affairs just as they happen. Just as they happen, we should be running to him. So the Lord has been growing me in these areas of praying for small things and also just praying for people immediately. Gosh, how many times I've I've told people, yeah, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you Sunday morning. Tons and tons. I'm going to pray for you. And then I forget to pray for them. So what I try to do now, since I know I'm forgetful, is I just put my hands on them right then. Let's pray right now. We want to see that. We want to see people just praying at all times, at, at school, at church, wherever we are. Let, let's pray right now. Let's go to God constantly. Uh, the, the, the man who uh, gave the term over-spiritualized prayer wrote this book, A Praying Life. He says this. He says, we don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. We just need to be poor in spirit. Poverty of spirit makes room for his spirit so my weakness was that i was overly confident in myself so i'm not going to pray for these small things i'm not poor in my own spirit mike's spirit is very strong and confident so i'm only going to go to god when 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 eternity's on the line no no i need to go to him constantly whether eternity's on the line whether it's the weather whatever it is i need to learn to be turning to the lord at all times Christian joy is unique because it is supernatural, because it's elusive. It's also elusive and constant. I've said the same thing about Christian prayer, and I have the same thing to say about thankfulness. We have Thanksgiving coming, and our Thanksgiving can look like the world's Thanksgiving when things are going well. But when things are difficult, when we recognize that we're poor in spirit and I need God's spirit in me, then we can move happily and joyfully toward lives that are are full of joy, that are praying more and more frequently, and that we are full of thanksgiving, that we are full of thanksgiving. Whether we are on vacation in Hawaii or whether the unthinkable thing has happened to us, we have a hope beyond this life. And my grace is sufficient for you to live this way. I'm going to supply what you need to be constantly joyful, to be constantly prayerful, and to be constantly thankful. That's what he's looking for in us. And he's going to supply the strength to do it. Let's pray together. Father, we confess to you that we often play games with ourselves. When it comes to joy, we sometimes act very joyful. We put smiles on our faces. We pray that you would mostly free us from that. That we would have brothers and sisters that we would be real with. That we recognize that at times, joy and tears are compatible things. I pray that increasingly for all of us that we would find ourselves joyful as we have hearts that long for Jesus, long for heaven, long for the things of God. Pray that the things of of the world would grow strangely dim to us, so strangely dim that we could rejoice if our most prized possessions were stolen. We pray, God, that we would be people who pray constantly over small things, seemingly small things, and over big things. And we ask, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be thankful. And I pray that today, especially for those who are discouraged, who are depressed, who are very far from thankfulness. I pray that the power of God would come into your lives this moment and that in the midst of pain that you would be able to say thank you thank you jesus we pray in his name amen Let's stand.